Amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and find the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to focus on a couple of different passages, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21 this morning, as we talk about the relationship that we have with Christ, the family that we belong to. You know, you've heard me say before that I believe one of the greatest blessings on this earth is really the relationship that we get to enjoy with one another. I am convinced that of all the different things we have, we can have material goods and possessions, we can have great opportunities and travel and all of that, but there is nothing like the relationship that we can build with one another. And I am grateful for the relationships God has given me through the years. Maybe it's in the family of God, the church. It might be outside the church. But I am also grateful for the opportunity to experience relationship in family, in my biological family, in my physical, earthly family. I've enjoyed that through the years. Now, I will be honest with you. My family is not perfect. My family of origin is not perfect. My immediate family now, not perfect. Anybody here agree with me this morning? Are you talking about my family? <laughs> we, we have people who are, are broken in our families and all, but there is something that uh, God has given us to be able to enjoy relationship within family. Now, when I was growing up, I was taught the importance of family. I mean, that was one of the things that was drilled within my head is that family is important. Family is paramount. Probably to uh, a bad degree that was drilled into my head. I realized when I got to New Orleans Seminary that the family type that I came from, according to Dr. Stanley Watson, the counselor professor who was there at New Orleans for years, according to his uh, metric, my family was what you called the enmeshed family when you were growing up. The enmeshed family. That means that we were, we were really, really, really tight. We were really, really close. Perhaps a little too close from time to time. I mean, it's one of those things that uh, the motto of the family was us against the world. You know? It's kind of like we were together and everybody else was out there. We were family. And when you graduated, it was okay if you went to school. But you needed to make sure that you came back to the family. Does that make sense to you? Any of you belong to an enmeshed family that was that close? They, I mean, you had to kind of come back. As a matter of fact, when Leslie and I were getting married, uh, you know, we, we had set the date. We were, we were looking forward to it, and I didn't have a job yet. She decided to marry me without a job. And she would ask me, where are we, you going to live? Where are we going to live? And I would say, oh, we're in love. God will work these things out. It's okay. It's going to be fine. She looked at me one day and she said, All right, Reggie, I know your parents are building a house. And I know they're putting that little place upstairs like an apartment or so. I am not living with your parents. <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. As a matter of fact, I'm never going to live on the compound. <laughs> nope. Nope. And there is some, uh, again, reality in that because today... 
I have three siblings, and today my mother can look out the window and see two of them from her, uh, from her window there at their houses, and she can see the other one just up the road, if you will. So, I mean, there is something about that. There was the family. It's always like being connected. It's being with the family. That's the reason I kid with y'all sometimes and tell you that I'm the prodigal, and I really am. I'm the prodigal because I left. And Rustin is not that far, but it's too far for them. You know what I'm saying? And then to be able to enjoy and understand the importance of family from my family of origin, but also then to get married and have children. Now, I know some of you will say, just wait till the grandchildren come. But folks, right now, just in my life, to be married to Leslie Neves Bridges and to be able to see my children, it's one of the greatest opportunities and blessings that I have in my life. So this is why when I read this scripture, it rocks me to the core. Because I understand family and I love family and I've been taught importance of family. Even with all of our mess ups, even with all of the issues that are out there, I understand the importance of family. And then I come to this passage and I hear Jesus, I hear Jesus redefine the family. I hear him speak about even greater relationships. And as I said, it rocks me to my core. So I hope this morning that it will speak to you and rock you as well. Now, Jesus has had a teaching moment. He has many of these as we're presented in the gospel with. Jesus is out teaching. He's sharing with different ones. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that a great multitude, a great crowd from all the different cities around had come to hear Jesus teach. And Jesus had been teaching, specifically had given a couple of parables. He'd given the parable of the sower and the seed, and he'd given the parable about how there's a light that is to be displayed, not hidden. And now he comes to a moment in his ministry where his earthly family seeks him out. Look, if you will, again, Luke chapter 8, verse 19. It says, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So listen to this. Jesus again is teaching. A lot of people there, they want to hear what Jesus is saying. The crowd is so great that his, his family cannot get close to him. Now listen, if you're the earthly family of Jesus, there ought to be some prerogative, right? If you are the mama of Jesus, you ought to be able to see him anytime you want to see him. But you can't get close to him because of the crowd. Think of this. Let, let's say that uh, we have somebody in our family that is, uh, let, let's say, somewhat famous. They've done something. They've been recognized. And they're part of the family. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's your sister. You would still think you could call them on the phone, wouldn't you? You would probably still talk about them every now and then. Let me tell you about my brother. Now, I do have a brother, Jeff Bridges, but he's not the actor, all right? But I'd say, I want to I call him. I want to talk to him. I need access to him. I, yes, you would think that you would naturally have access to your brother or your sister. You would have access to your children. You would think that would be natural. But they can't seem to get to Jesus. 
There's a great crowd. There's, there are people that are there. So a messenger comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, your mama, your brothers, they're, they're right outside. They're, they're outside the crowd. They're just over there. Now, according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 56, we're told that Jesus has at least four half-brothers, okay? At least four half-brothers that Jesus has. And I say half-brothers because they are the children of, or sons of Joseph and Mary. Jesus being, of course, the son of Mary and of the Holy Spirit. So I call them half-brothers. There are at least two half-sisters. Why would I say that? Because it speaks of his sisters, plural. We don't know how many. We just know there are at least two. So Jesus had this family. It was kind of a nice family, right? Four, four sons, two daughters at least, maybe more. That's a good family. I've always kind of wanted to have seven. Still kind of young. Maybe you could adopt. I mean, seven? I mean, that's a great opportunity uh, to... to you know, my, my dad called me after we were having our last child. My dad called, and we just told him the exciting news that Ainsley was being born. And he said, Reggie, he said, how many children are you going to have? I said, first of all, Daddy, you're supposed to be excited. Excited. Don't tell Leslie that you're asking me about how many children we're going to have right now, okay? He said, well, I just tried. I said, Daddy, there were four of us. He said, yes, son, but uh, you were an accident and your sister was a medical impossibility. <laughs> Thank you. Make me feel a lot better. I just told you how important family is. And... I said, Daddy, even in yours, you, you had like seven, eight brothers and sisters said, Son, do you understand they had us back then to work? It was not to just have children. It was a labor force for these people. Your grandparents had us so that we would work on the farm. He said, why, why would you, children today, they don't work. He said, why would you have children today? You don't, I said, daddy, daddy, here's Jesus. He has, he has these different brothers, at least four half brothers. He has uh, at least two half sisters. He has his mom. I think maybe by this time his dad has probably passed away. Uh, most likely, there's no mention of Joseph in these, in these ministries of, of Jesus. But he has this family, and, and they're expecting, hey, Jesus, you remember, we're your earthly family, and there's a messenger that goes in. Now, personally, I believe the messenger was sent by Mama. I do. And one of the reasons I do is because, remember, back over in, in uh, Luke uh, chapter 2, it was when he was left at the, at the uh, temple. Remember that? And it was his mother that said, Son, why have you done this to us? Remember? She was kind of like the spokesperson. Plus, there is nobody that can convey guilt in life like your mama can. I love my mama. I love all the ladies who are here today. But... Agree with me. There is nobody else in life that can convey guilt like mama. So I believe mama probably sent the messenger in to Jesus saying, Hey, we're outside. We're out, outside the crowd here. You need to give us some attention. And then Jesus says this. My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. 
Now, that sounds so disrespectful, and Jesus is not disrespectful. He has an opportunity to teach. Remember, he had been teaching. He'd been teaching in parables. And now he has an opportunity to say, understand that, yes, the, the, those, uh, certainly, my mother, my their earthly family out there, but I have another family. I have a spiritual family. I have a family that is connected to me as they hear the word and as they apply it to their lives. Jesus said, there's an important family that I have, a spiritual family. Now, this should communicate to us because, again, Jesus, understanding the importance of the earthly family, always affirming the earthly family during his ministry, he just comes to this moment and he says, hey, I know they're out there, but that's not my priority right now. My priority is this ministry, this work, this family. Now, this goes right along with what he said to his mother. Remember back at the temple? Remember what he said to her? I must be about my father's business. The first words recorded in Scripture of Jesus' words. First words out of Jesus' mouth recorded for us. I must be about my father's business. And that set the whole trajectory of his life. The whole trajectory of his ministry was about the father's will. And obviously about his family, the spiritual family. So he says, says understand how important... I can't just drop this and run out to my earthly family right now. He is conveying the importance. He is conveying the importance of the family of God. He is conveying the importance of the relationship that he had with these individuals who had responded to him in faith. I would go as far to say this. Our relationship with Christ, listen to me. Our relationship with Christ is more important than our relationship with any other person. Our relationship with Christ. Is that not what Jesus is somewhat saying? Is like, hey, this is my family. Jesus just claimed us. Jesus said that we are important. Jesus said we are blessed. Jesus said that we are the ones that he considers part of his valuable relationship set context we're part of that and if jesus considered us so important and loved us those of us who would respond in faith and who would follow him and he even set it against his earthly family do you not understand how jesus is the most important relationship that you and i can have and that says a lot isn't it because I just told you a moment ago how important relationships are here on this earth. All relationships. They're, they're so important. But especially those people you call brothers and sisters. Those people that you call your parents. The people you call your spouse. Or the person. Not the people. The person you call your spouse. The people you call your children. Your grandchildren. Those are valuable relationships. And Jesus just told us in so many words that our relationship with him is more important than any of those. It's the same as he had communicated to Abraham. In Genesis 22, when God told Abraham to take Isaac up to that hill and to sacrifice him. What Abraham was, or what God was trying to demonstrate 
because God already knew this, that Abraham valued his relationship with God more than he valued his relationship with Isaac. I'm still astounded by that passage. And I'm astounded by Jesus saying here that in some way, the relationship that he has with those who've had faith and who are following him, that that relationship is more important than any other. I would say to you that that relationship is more important or should be more important in our lives, and it should be more intense, more intense than any other relationship in our lives. Now, for that, I do want you to look over to Luke chapter 14. Some of you have already turned there, perhaps because you saw it listed, and you're part of those people you just got to, got, you got to get there, right? So you're already there, but some of you, you can find that. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus is speaking to the crowd again, the multitude. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Those are stinging words. Jesus turns around, looks to the crowd and says, unless you hate your mother, your father, your siblings, your spouse, your children, if you do not hate them, you cannot follow them, even hating your own self. Now, I said to you earlier that Jesus affirmed the family Read through the Gospels. Jesus affirmed the family. He, all, he believed in that commandment which said, honor your father and mother. Jesus believed in that. He, he, he I think, taught us. We were taught by Paul, of course, and the other apostles, disciples, that we we're to love our family members. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. Okay. I think, uh, I think I'm a little hard of hearing because I can't hear your amens this morning. So, so let me... God calls us to love our families, amen? God calls us to demonstrate respect to our families, amen? Jesus loved his family. Jesus respected his family. There is no doubt. So what does this mean when Jesus says, unless you hate, you hate your mother and father and your siblings and all your, your, your spouse and your children and yourself, that you hate all these different other relationships? What does he mean? He is drawing a comparison. He is talking about the relationship that you have with him. In other words, when you come to him and you follow him, the intensity of that, the importance of that, it should make every other relationship pale in comparison. There, no other relationship should look like this one. No other relationship should be this intense or this passionate or this wonderful. No other relationship. Now, do you see how incredible this is? Do you see how Jesus takes this analogy of the family and he just turns it on his head so that he can teach us how important the relationship we have with him is? I'm going to tell you, there's not anything in this life I can think of that I would trade my wife and my children for. Nothing. Oh, I better back up. And there's nothing I would trade my dad and my mom for. They listen to this, all right? 
I've got a sister that, no, anyway, there's not, not anything that I would think of that I'd trade my family for. And yet Jesus said, he is the most important thing in our lives. Think about the love that you have for your spouse. Think about the love you have for your children. Think about the love you have for your grandchildren. And then what I want you to do is I want you to multiply that exponentially and you still have not gotten to the place where you should love Jesus. Because our love for Christ and our relationship, our commitment, our passion should be so tremendously more for Jesus than it, than it is for anything else in our lives. That's why Jesus is pushing back just a little in chapter 8. That's the reason he, he's trying to teach those who would be listening that it's about a relationship with him. It's about a spiritual relationship, I should say, and not just an earthly relationship. It's not just about being his earthly family. It is about being his spiritual family. And there's the importance of that, and there's the intensity behind it. The love, the commitment. And I believe, as you have looked at these two passages, especially the one back in chapter 8, you will also hear the intentional nature. That our relationship with Christ should be more intentional than a relationship with anybody else. Now, I'm one of these guys. I believe that we must be intentional in our relationships. When I go through uh, premarital counseling with folks, uh, those of you who've done that with me, you know intentionality, intentionality, intentionality. It is so important because what happens is we just kind of get to doing our things and going our way and we forget to be intentional in our relationship with one another. I always say to, in marriages that you have to be intentional because what you do is you kind of, you always gravitate toward your selfish desire, selfish means, uh, selfish attitudes. You always do. That, that happens. Hey, that happens in life itself. Unless we are aware of that selfishness and we say, no, 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 no. We want to be intentional in our love for one another. We want to be intentional. Hopefully you were intentional this week. Hopefully you got a card for somebody or you took somebody out maybe or you did something, right? You better be intentional. Intentional in our relationships. You can't just let your marriage slide. You got to be intentional. You can't just allow these other relationships to slide. you got to be intentional. And I think that we must be intentional in our relationship with Jesus. Notice what he says. Again, his mother and his brothers are there. And remember, they don't really go along. They, the mother, Mary, I believe, but his brothers don't necessarily go along with him. Mark chapter 3 says they push back against Jesus during his earthly ministry. During a lot of that, they push back. So here they are outside, and perhaps they're trying to get him to refrain from what he's saying. I don't know what they're trying to do. They just want an audience with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is my family. These are my brothers and sisters. Who are these? Those who hear the word 
and they do it. They're intentional about hearing the word, and they're intentional about doing it. Communication is like the lifeblood of a relationship. You got to communicate in your marriage relationship, do you not? You got to. You got to. You got to talk to one another. You got to listen to one another. You got to be intentional about it. Again, I tell those couples when they're about to get married, we talk about communication sometimes, and I tell them, listen with a third ear. So when your wife comes in, you say, how was the day? And she says, well, it was great. You, you say, what? It was great. Oh, it was good. Don't say, that's awesome, because tonight, do you know that Ole Miss is playing Alabama on TV, and we're going to watch that? Don't do that. No. Listen. Because what she said with her words and what she said with her mannerisms, her tone, all of that might have communicated something differently. Listen. Intentional communication. Jesus said, these are the people who hear me. They hear my word. In the parable that he had just been teaching. I told you that he'd been teaching. He had taught the parable of the light that is not to be shaded or put under some type of lampstand. Or, or in, that is covered up. It should be placed on a lampstand so people can see. And then he had given the parable right before that of the sower and the seed. Remember that parable? Where the sower would go out, he would sow the seed, and some of the seed would fall by the wayside, and the birds would go, and they would get that, and some of the seed would fall uh, on the stone or the rock, and it wouldn't have a root, so it couldn't last. And then it, there was some seed that would fall uh, that would begin to grow, and the thorns would come, and they would choke it out. And, but then there was some seed that would bear fruit. And Jesus had said this parable was the key of understanding the parables. And then he, uh, he, gave, them, he gave them the one-to-one -one meaning. He gave them the interpretation. He, he told them about those first three categories of the wayward seed, or the rock, that which fell upon the rock, that which fell and grew and the, was choked out. He, he, he talked about those and he said, he said, then there is the one, the seed, that category, where they actually grow. The seed takes root and it grows. In other words, they truly hear the word and they grow. They, they've listened. I believe he's using this teaching moment here with his family to say, hey, remember I just told you about the sower and the seed? The people that are my family, those that I consider my brothers and sisters, are those who have heard the word, they've allowed the, the seed to penetrate their hearts, and there is fruit in their lives. They've heard me. They've heard me. It is amazing, though, after you've been married for some time, it's, almost, it's like you can read the other person's mind. You ever get to that point? Almost finished their sentence? 
Leslie and I have been married almost 21 years now. Is that right? Give me some credit, Les. Isn't that right? 21. Uh, close. Close. And there are times when you can, like, almost complete the other person's sentence. You ever have that? Like, no? Nah. Just a unique thing with me, obviously. Obviously, you can't read my mind or... Yes, you stay with people, you get to know them, you get to, it's like you can communicate, you know, you can just, and let me tell you what, God convicted me a few years ago about that. God convicted me in such a way that he said, Reggie, it's almost like you know her mind better than you know my mind. You can complete her sentences, but do you know me that well? Do you know me that well? Do you know my word? Do you know who I, I know you've had all this other stuff, and I know that you've had the seminary stuff and the college stuff, but some years ago, Jesus just confronted me and said, would you know me? Do you want to know me just as importantly and intensely, just as intentionally as you know Leslie? Will you hear me? You get to know me. And I think that's still a challenge for me and for you today. That we would hear and that we would do. This is not a works-based salvation, by the way, that he's teaching. Simply what he's doing is he's saying you hear the word, you've received the word. And obviously, what we understand is if you truly receive the word and hear what he says, then you're going, it's going to issue forth into your works, right? I'm not saved by my works. I work because I'm saved. Oh, I noticed this when I was going through this study. One of the brothers, perhaps outside, one of them, we're not told their names, it just says the brothers. One of the brothers might have been a guy named James. Remember what James says? James says, hey, show me your faith, or that faith you call it, that faith without works, and I'll show you the faith with works. And he talks about how there's living faith and not the dead faith. And I wonder if when he was writing that that day, if he had not been thinking about what Jesus said. Oh, the family, the family are those who hear and they do. See, there's intentionality of hearing and doing. And this is a Repetition in the Gospel of Luke. It's a repetition in the Scripture itself. That we hear, we do, and we're part of that blessed relationship with Jesus. I can't help but to mention one other thing before I leave. Before we leave this morning. And that is this. In Luke chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. It gives us this moment where Jesus is walking through the crowds... And there's a woman. There's a woman that cries out. And there's a woman that cries blessing. Specifically on the mother of Jesus. What she does, Jesus is walking through. And what the woman does is she says, Blessed is the womb who bore you and the breast that nursed you. That's what she cried out from the crowd. What she was basically saying was, 
how blessed it must have been to be your mom. Your mother was such a blessed individual to give birth to you and to nurture you. And again, Jesus pushes back just a little. Not that he, not that he disrespected his mom, but listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Is that not the same type of language? He said, oh, you think my mom was blessed? Let me tell you who's blessed. Blessed are those individuals who hear the word and they keep it. Is that not an amazing statement? That what he's saying is, we are more blessed than the earthly family of Jesus. We're more blessed than Mary herself. Now, Mary was blessed. The angel, the angel came to her and announced the birth. And what did the angel say? Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Elizabeth, her cousin, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. All of these passages in the Gospel of Luke. So she was blessed. Not saying she wasn't blessed. But what Jesus says is, more blessed are those people that actually hear the word and they do it. That's incredible. That you and I can experience greater blessing. You and I can experience greater happiness and contentment because that's what the word blessed means. Because those of you who come on Sunday night, you know that I've been teaching through the Beatitudes, right? Blessed and happy and content. This is a Beatitude. Jesus said, happy are those people. Content are those people. And they are even more content than Mary herself. What a comparison. How tremendous. And I believe later on in her life, Mary herself even recognized it. Because I'm convinced that when Luke was writing his gospel, Luke told us that he used eyewitnesses. I'm convinced that Luke interviewed Mary when he was putting all this stuff down under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced he did. So here she is talking with Luke through this and telling about these blessed moments and these times when these things happened. And perhaps she told him, hey, there was a time when I went to see Jesus and you'd think you could see your son, but he wouldn't see me. Because he said, my family, my family are those who hear the word and they do it. And you know what, Luke, I know you may write down what happened that day when Jesus said, more blessed are those who do it, hear the word and do it, more blessed are they than I am. But you know what, Luke, that, that's absolutely right. Because you see what happens is the earthly mother of Jesus becomes a follower of Jesus. She recognizes she's, he's not just her child, he is her Lord. And she becomes part of the spiritual family. You and I, we're part of the spiritual family. Jesus desired a relationship. So what did he do? He came to this earth. He died on the cross. He rose the third day. He gave us an opportunity, an avenue. That if we trust him and believe in him with everything that we have, 
as he has called us, as he has spoken to us, if we do that, we enter into his family. We have a new relationship. Oh, I didn't have enough time to go through the corporate nature of it. But I just say this, that once you come into the family of God, you not only have a relationship with Jesus, but you have a relationship with the rest of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm real grateful for my brothers and sisters in Christ right in this room and there in that gathering. I'm grateful he brought us into the family as only he could. So I say to you today, there are some of you in this place that you need to accept Christ and give your life and come into the family because he loved you. He's shown that love. You need to join the family. Some of you say, Reggie, you just don't know. I haven't ever had a family. My family is not like the one you talked about. My family, I told you all of us have issues. Everybody has issues. You say, well, I've had more than others. You know what? It doesn't matter about your background. Jesus Christ loves you, and he calls you to come to him and to join his family. Because what's more important is the spiritual family than the earthly family any day. So you come. Give your life to him. Join the family. Those of us who are part of the family, we need to act like it. We need to hear his word, and we need to do it. Because we're part of the family of Jesus. And we want people to know that. We need to tell people about it. If you had somebody that was on stage uh, each and every night there in Hollywood or wherever else, you would tell people probably. You would share about it. Or if some politician or something was your brother or sister, you'd probably tell people about it. Listen, you got somebody better than a rock star. You got somebody better than a politician. You got somebody better than the president of the United States. You got a person on your side called Jesus Christ, and he is one that is worthy to tell about. You ought to tell them. Every time you take one of those green balls that we gave out some time ago, and we still have for you, by the way, because you still need to keep telling people about Jesus. Every time you do it, you need to bring it back and, and give us those initials so we can pray for those people that they'll come into the family. The family. Family matters. Always has, always will, but the spiritual family, it matters most in our lives. May we give thanks, may we tell people, and if you've never joined it, may you come this morning and know Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior and as your family today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we do praise you because you sent Jesus to establish a new relationship with us. Jeremiah called it the new covenant, the new agreement, the new relationship. And God, we are thankful that you, through your son, bring us into your family. We could have never have done this on our own. Could have never recognized the importance and the true, genuine nature of the relationship. But you opened our eyes through the Holy Spirit, and you called us, and you spoke to us, and you brought us where we needed to be. So, God, this morning what I do is pray for some who are outside the family that need to come in. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak right now and that you would convict 
And Father, that you would help them know that there is a God who loves them and there are people who love them who want to be a part of their family. God, there are some of us in here who are a part of the family. And God, right now what we just need to do is we need to come and we need to say thank you. And we need to recommit our lives to acting like we're part of the family and to telling people about your son. God, we pray that you would move in our midst. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.